Welcome to the Kingdom Misfits podcast, where we talk about biblical topics and culture through the lens of scripture. Our goal today is to deepen our understanding of God's word through wrestling with scripture and renewing our minds. What's up, everybody? And thank you for tuning in to another podcast and joining us on this episode today. We have a very special guest, Jeff Ortega. Correct. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll introduce Jeff to you guys. Jeff is uh, uh, what I would consider probably one of the greatest godly men I've ever met in my life. Um, he's he's somebody who I shared on the last podcast was there, you know, in one of my darkest days that I had uh, ever as a person. And he's also one of the main reasons why I was able to go through Recovery Road and successfully get sober and be recovered. Wow. Uh, is because of just the relationship that I had with him at that time and just how everything was so familiar. My struggles and my my downfalls, my failures, uh, he had an answer for everything, which I later come to find out that he went through it himself as well. So mm. having somebody to understand your heart and the heartaches and your willingness to to want to change and to understand how you need to change um, was very uh, key and vital to to my success and in, in recovery. So, with further ado, or however those fancy people say that, Mr. <laughs> Jeff Ortega. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you for being here. Some big words. Some big words. <laughs> those are some big words. So go ahead I and just, tell us about yourself, Jeff. Well. Uh, the the small stuff the small stuff is uh my name's jeff ortega um 52 years old this year october i'm not fit i'm not there yet but i'm gonna go ahead and count that yeah um you know it uh, i've been married for 30 32 years Mm. um with the wife and got three boys uh all out of the house and doing their own thing now um but yeah just my my background is uh just being Jeff, I always say like I just always been Jeff. I just been around the world a couple of times uh, in my own way, in my own head, you know. Mm, so, right. um, been through ups and downs, and that's 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 me. It's just pretty uh pretty simple, simple in my description, I guess. But uh, mm. simple in his description, but larger than life. Yes. Yeah, okay, <laughs> there's there's some great there's some good details. Gonna where, back, yeah, I'm gonna back off that mic stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna pry out some some very good uh, good details that I I would love uh, our listeners to to not only get to know you and and stuff, but to I know there's a lot of men out there that are gonna be able to relate to you, and maybe haven't seen the the greater side that you you know obviously the things that you've overcome and. And why we chose you to be on this podcast? We're we're labeling it because what, what it means to be a godly man, right? Yep. Something yep. like that. And to my understanding, Jeff, uh, you said you've been married for thirty three years. Were you two uh, high school sweethearts? High school sweethearts. Yeah. So meeting Celeste Kennedy High School. Uh, I, I transferred there um, with one year left of high school, uh, and uh, she's the person I ran into, um, and it wasn't an immediate bond. It was just uh, trying to figure her, her out, and you know, who who is this girl that knows all of these uh, people and guys? And I was like, I had no, it, my head wasn't turning yet. Um, it wasn't until she she had invited me to a Valentine's dance as a friend. Oh. So she invited <laughs> you to the dance. Yeah. Okay. yeah, she called my house and uh, said, "Would you come with me 
uh, to a Valentine's dance. So I said, <laughs> yeah, I will. I, 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 yeah, definitely. I, I can do that as a friend. And uh, I got off the phone that day and I said, oh man, I know where this is going. This is friend zone. So, oh, uh, she friend zoned you, I didn't, huh? yeah. So we went to the Valentine's dance and I, I didn't try nothing. Didn't, didn't go anywhere. I was like, well, not she, being a gentleman. She made it very clear. And, uh, come to find out that after, uh, that dance, we dropped her off and my, my friend told me, uh, you didn't, you didn't ask her anything or hit her up. And I was like, no, she said she wanted to just be friends. So that's how we ended up. We turned back around the car. We, we, we were headed out. Uh, we dropped her off. We were going home across town because I lived on the opposite side of town, not the great side of town, the opposite side of town. <laughs> okay. And uh, we turned back around and we invited her to Taco Bell that night. She came out and that's where I, I, I made the connection. Yeah. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know the details of her thoughts. Right. Uh huh. So, um, yeah, we made a connection there and Taco Bell paid off. Good old Taco Bell. Taco Bell <laughs> comes in handy. Wow, that's so that's, that's, that's kind of rare though, isn't it? It's rare to have, to meet couples who've been together since yeah, high school. school. 16 and and, yeah, 16 and 17. Wow. Yeah. And when did you guys get married? How old were you? Uh, gee, ni- 1990. 1990. Mm. Oh, wow. That, that's, so, that's, that's awesome. That's 20, awesome. Yeah. All right, you want to tell us a little bit about the ministry you're a part of? Yeah. Describe how I fell into the ministry yeah. or how yeah, I... Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's start from the beginning. It's all about you. Talk, talk to us. So, the way I came about the ministry was, uh, you know, Celeste had attended the ministry for a family member. She would uh, ask if I wanted to go, and I was like, no, I don't want I don't, to, I don't really want to go. And, uh, she continued on. So one day, uh, she came home and we found out one of my sons were involved in something we didn't like. And that was, uh, weed. And, you know, it's like, so it really disturbed my soul. You know, I was like, Mm -hmm. man, you know, I thought we were doing a great job. He had, I I just found more and more trails of that stuff, you know, laying around the house and, you know, the, the pipes and stuff that you see. Roaches everywhere. Roaches. Yeah. So she said, you either come and start helping him. Or he's going to go down the wrong path. So guess what I did? I jumped in class with him. So Jaden started coming to class with us to hear the, the lessons from Mike mm-hmm. and Trina Arianos. And uh, that's how we developed a relationship. And I started going to the class. Um, for I knew it, uh, I was going to this class every you know Tuesday because it was on Tuesdays. So I was going to this class every Tuesday or Thursday, sorry. And I came to a day where I broke down in the class because... I didn't know I was still carrying pain for the loss of, you know, both my siblings, older brother and younger brother. Mm. And, uh, I laid out the tears, man, you know, and as a man, you're like, ah, I just, I was just exposed in front of people, you know, and I, I left it all there and I walked out of the class that night and I told Celeste, like, I can't believe I just cried in front of a bunch of people I don't even know. From there, I just kept attending the class because I found that it was, you know, God, led me there through my son but i started finding healing for myself through this class mm. right and as time went on mike uh, ariano asked if, if we wanted to be part of the class you know, be a lead be a leader in the class yeah okay. so i was like man that's a lot you know i, I don't take that invita- invitation very lightly so um he said pray on it you know and i'm new I'm, I'm fairly new at the time to any kind of anything with class so i was like yeah i'll, I'll pray on it Sure. And I walked out of the class and said, what does that mean? 
Pray <laughs> on it, you know. Oh, so, so were you not a Christian before you started going to class? Did you I, get saved in there? Or? Yeah, I, I was like I was like a new newbie, I guess, coming back. You know, I was always okay. I was raised in the church, but you know, I, I was gone from the Lord so long that I, was, I felt I was just a newbie, just rediscovering. Know, like, okay. Yeah. So um, when uh, he asked me that, you know, we had been at Thrive since two thousand eight, and this is two thousand. What is it? Let me see. 13, 14, 2014, when uh, he asked it, because the, the, the deaths were fairly fresh. So mm. um, going on with the uh, pray about it thing, I went home and I told Celeste, like, man, I haven't heard anything come in prayer back to me. You know, I've been praying on it. She's like, well, mm. you know, keep praying on it. So one day I'm driving the Honda to, to work. You know, I had to take my Honda because the truck wasn't working. But... I had this moment where I said, God, what do you want me to do? This invitation to teach a class that I don't feel like I even qualify for. Where do I need to be? And he said, I placed you where you needed to be. And all you did to do is answer the call. Hmm. And so I called Celeste like immediately. I was like, that's, that's got to be my head. It's in my head. Like something's in my head talking like that. And uh, it was like, no, it's me. So I called Celeste and I cried. And I told her, hey, we have to do this class. I don't know why, but we have to. She's like, oh, I know. Yeah, I know we were going to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. so, God already told me. me yeah, <laughs> me feeling like I had you know, total control over the decision. You know, She'd already had her mind and her answer. She didn't have to pray on anything. She knew. Yeah. And uh, you know, later I come to find out, like sometimes you, you sit on things so long that it's like it was already presented to you. The answer was already given. And I, that's what I wasn't accepting. Right. Mm-hmm. Because mm. I before that I had said prayed to God to use me, so that I can go help people like my brothers, right? Okay. So He places me in this class, but I don't see it. Yeah. I have no clue like why I'm even there, right? Guess where I'm at? Recovery Road. That's where I'm at. Okay. What did my brothers pass from? Alcohol played a a big part of both of their lives, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so here I am. I'm able to help. God's answering the answering the prayer. I just didn't see it at the time. Yeah. Leave it to the wife to figure that out, right? <laughs> yeah. Push us in the right direction. That's so she knew it. So, you know, lo and behold, I, I, I taught the one of the first classes. I don't know. I can't remember how many classes we were in. It was probably a summer we went through and before I ran into Mike. Yeah, because I was uh, 2016 is when I went in December, uh, November. Yep. It was November... Uh, November 5th is yes. when I got pulled over and got my DUI and November 7th was the uh, your your class the yep. one that I walked to oh wow that Tuesday yeah that yes. Tuesday yeah so the story with that is um, I always would pray like God you know show me who I'm going to help who who am I here to help you know I, I, I see class after class and you know it's it you, you really don't have those connections because you teach a you teach a class and then you wonder like did they get anything out of it mm-hmm well, this day, my brother walked in with a heavy, heavy, heavy uh, spirit, and I felt it as it walked through the room, and he sat in this chair that was off to the left. Hope you don't mind me saying no, that. No, no, share it all. Mm-hmm. So, this chair off to the left, Mike, and uh, I just felt like, it's like you feel heat, you know, you have to be by, yeah. by a heater, and you just feel it. So, I felt it, but, you know, we went off to class, and... Uh, you know, just going around the class and, and hearing everyone's story, and we got to Mike, and something hit me like a rock, just like it hit him. 
um, there's this, this connection of like, wow, this man has my story. When he spoke, he has the story of things that I've been through and what I struggled with. And uh, at that moment, it was answered like, here's the path that I've been leading you on to help the people you've been begging me to help you help. If you can understand that. Your divine appointment. People just like your brother. I saw my little brother sitting right next to me at that moment. Wow. And it was, that was it. That's my story. And that's how you guys met, huh? Yeah, yeah. he met, he was the first man I I cried in front of, uh, to be honest with you. Like, that was the first time I've ever exposed myself. Because I, like like all of us, we grew up, you know, thinking like, oh, you got to be tough and you got to, you know, hold it in and this and that. And and when Jeff got to me and asked me what my name was and stuff like that, I just... Moco crying everywhere. I couldn't. I couldn't. Right. I couldn't get it out, you know. And uh, I remember he asked me, "Was something good or something bad about you?" And I was like, "There's nothing good. There's nothing good about me." And, and that, was, that was it. And that was the beginning of our relationship. Yeah, there was there was a, a moment there, and he says, it, it, "I don't know if it was the first time you heard it, but I think it was one of the first times I used this word." And it was, you know, just you were set on a divine appointment today. Today is your day. And uh, I just saw a healing that was going to happen in Mike's life that day. That was almost six years ago. This November would be six years. Wow. So you're over there answering your call, and he's over there helping you answer that call. And you saw something in Mike. Well, I think it was, to be honest, and this is what I tell Jeff all the time, I'm like, thank, I always say thank you, and, and I always tell him I love him because it, he did, like it is, we always give all the glory to God for everything, yes. right? Amen. But at a certain point, Jeff was in that car and he had to answer that call. You know, when he, yeah. when he called his wife and said, we're going to do this class. And, and that was the first time I heard, or the second time I heard you, you know, say that story. But this was the first time I felt this way uh, about it is I, I felt like God had my name on your heart, but it wasn't revealed yet. You know, when, when he put that on there, because... I, I went through uh, AA classes. I went through uh, a Christian um, recovery road at other churches. Like this was my last hope. This was my last step. It was my last chance, you know, because my drinking was getting worse. And so I needed somebody like Jeff to. Um, I needed somebody like Jeff to to be there for me, you know, to understand the things that. I'm going to go through that I've gone through and how I'm going to get through them, you know, so it just, it worked out great. Yeah, it's been, it's been a blessing from my side. I just get to watch, uh, I get to watch healing. I get to watch a man, uh, walk the, the, that's where our, where, where we're going today. Yeah. Um, that messy path of, uh, manhood and spirituality and what we, we all want to be and what we want to, how we want to present ourselves to our families, exactly. the culture, the, the, Everybody around us. Right. Yeah. We got to explore that because we're just like 10 minutes into this podcast and we're already talking about emotions being brought up and struggling. For a lot of you men out there, you might have been raised to think that that's not okay. Like men aren't taught to show emotions. We need to be stoic, strong. We can't show any vulnerability. Well, we're going we're gonna to try to flip that script because what we're going to be talking about today is how to become a godly man be right back
In our last episode, we discussed our first ministry and how, as men, we are called to, one, love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, and mind. Two, our first ministry being our family, our spouses, and our children. And then three, areas where we can become the spiritual leaders within our households, okay? And in today's episode, we will be discussing what it means to become a godly man and explore some of those characteristics. And we're going to have a roundtable discussion joined by our friend Jeff in these six areas. Prioritizing God in our lives, staying focused on God's word, knowing how to embrace the lion and the lamb, embracing responsibility, showing perseverance, and having a good support group around you like a band of brothers. So gentlemen, society has many different ideas about what the role of men should be in our culture, like being a provider, um, being husbands and fathers, even dictators. What are some other areas that you can think of where society has pretty much programmed us with the ideas of what manhood should look like? I think, you know, society, you know, gives you the, uh, it gives you this look that, you know, men, well, here's, I'll, I'll be honest, here's, here's how I raised my boys. It was like, uh, stop crying, get up, man up. Mm-hmm. And I'd always tell them man up. And my father-in-law would get very angry with me um, because I tell him, get off the ground and man up because, you know, I coached football. And uh, <laughs> I guess, you, you know, nobody wants right. their son on the ground crying. Right. right. Yes. So there is no pain. The pain goes away. Right. And it, you can get back out there. Um, but you know, sometimes it's hard for us to release that as you, as you get older and you're used to hearing that and you're not used to seeing anybody break down. You know, as men, our breakdown happens when nobody's watching us. Nobody mm. sees it. Right? It is that silence. Yeah. You're crying in silence. Yeah. So, you know, it just culture has it as. You're supposed to be this. Well, you know, sometimes some of the best men have come with the the uh, the empathy of and the sympathy that they can give out to, and, and the their eyes wide open to what other somebody else is going through, right? Right. And truly understand, you know. And I think for the for what you see today, you know, we need a lot more of uh, we need a lot more of that. We need better examples. And I, right. don't you also think that it's culturally as well? And, and, and like I say, for most minority groups, mm. who do we idolize as, as young kids, especially if you're in an urban area? So when you mm. think of men, what comes to mind as, as an urban youth? Who? Man. No one. <laughs> well, I mean, look, some of us, like I know that, you know, back in the day, I was looking at Scarface. Yeah. You would look at drug dealers and gangbangers, right? Yeah. When you were watching Menace to Society or some of those other shows, you looked up to and you wanted to be like those characters, Yeah. you know? Or, or when it comes to ladies, man, who did you think of? Yeah, I, man, myself, I watched a lot of mob movies, you know. And Godfather. I, I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was honor, respect, you know, and uh, machismo, right? Ego, yeah. <laughs> pride, all that stuff. You're like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't ever want to let that weakness show, you know. And exactly. So it kind of. I was on the other end. Man. I was, I, I was with the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Rambo's and uh, oh man, Schwarzenegger, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Arnold and get to the Joppa, you know, like yeah. all, that's what I grew up on. I didn't watch any of the other. So my perspective of what a man was was the guy that struggled through life at the beginning, right? It had a and then that sure. you know you were never you were never fitting in and you were always the the misfit and you almost always died, you know, like so close and then that's you know. And I love how got big biceps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that that was my um, that that's that was my culture, you know, growing <laughs> up in, in that scene where you know it was about uh, Arnold and uh, 
Sylvester Stallone and stuff. So. Right. And and those were all like, I would say, badass men. Yeah. You looked at them, they're very stoic, yeah, right? Yeah. Like the hero's journey. And that's how, that's how we've been pro- programmed to look at it. So in today's podcast, we're going to explore the role of men from a biblical perspective and try our best to describe what a godly man should look like. Now, I want to dive into this a little bit. So there are a lot of guys we meet, and I'm sure you both haven't run into this, who call themselves Christians by association of a religious or cultural identity. However, when you start to look beneath the surface, it's hard to tell them apart from anyone else in the world, meaning they really don't have any relationship with God, read his word, or know um, what God has to say about these important issues. Now, what would you describe to be a worldly man? What is what are those things that a, a, a what are those characteristics of a worldly man? Because I think we need to have an idea of that before we can describe what a godly man should look like, right? Worldly man, I, I would describe a well. All I have to do is look back at myself. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's really yeah. all I have to rely on for a worldly man. I had no hunger for God. I had no hunger for the things of God. Um, I only cared about me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my cravings were for the fun of the moment. For the material things that that was going to suffice only for a short time right so for me i just have to look back and think of when i was out in the world and and serving the enemy and and you know i i think back man jeff you you led so many people you had the big parties you led so many people down the wrong path right um so your house was the party house i had some pretty big parties at my house yeah. with, at being married and that's being married with three sons you know sending them kids away in our house turned into you know this this big party of people just because we knew a lot of people and you know at the time i was so far so far removed from from god but in the back of my head i was always saying god let me see what some of these other great men see, like my what my dad is. Mm. How come I can't think like him? How come I can't have that same mindset that my dad has? Mm. But here I am, sir. I'm on the opposite of what my dad would want for me, right? And um, it was all, all world, all world. It was friends that were temporary, friends that were. Uh, um, I can look back now and say, man, I I'm not close with anybody. Those conversations I had. When I was drinking with any of them, I don't remember any of them. Hmm. They're gone, right? Isn't that They're something to realize? Yeah. <laughs> People you think were your friends, but it was usually because it was the party, the drugs, the alcohol, and those good times. Yeah. But when you try to change, what happens oh, yeah. to them all? They Man, disappear. Dropped off like apples on a on a tree. <laughs> right? <laughs> so when, when you guys, uh, I want to ask you a question to, to kind of give uh, some insight what what was that party life being married? Because, you know, I talk about that, too, in here with my, you know, obviously, that's how Jal and I met. We met at a bar, and, you know, we lived for the weekend. We partied for the weekend and stuff like that. And um, But I know you have some some to share. You know, how did that, how did that, how did the party life treat your marriage? Where did that lead to? And, oh, and that broken point, um, I think uh, I'm going to foreshadow it a little bit by saying, you know, get, Tell all that and then get to the point where it was the losing the house, losing the car, yeah, everything yeah. else. So how, where did that? It, you know, that that kind of drinking and partying um, that we did, it it did have an effect on our marriage big time. You know, it, it's a I wish I could look back and say, man, you know, Jeff was the most honest guy ever throughout his whole marriage. But I wasn't. Um, I had to become 
you know, clear that I, I stumbled. I, I truly stumbled in my marriage and um, broke some broke some rules. Broke broke man broke my word many times. You know, mm. and uh, went. I put her through the pain um, over and over and over. And uh, what the end result was, you know, so much of that partying and drinking and having fun, putting all that first started to really take effect into our lives um, when it came down to one day when the marriage was on the hook, right? And and she put out an ultimatum, and I had to decide, what's it going to be? You know, I didn't want to let my family down, my parents down, her parents down. Um, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants anybody to, like, look back and say, I told you so, right? right? That's what I didn't want. Um, so... As we went through that rocky time, you know, we're, it, Mike brought that up. We, we were in the middle of losing our house, um, lost a car. And um, I was like, man, where am I going with this? You know, like, what is this leading me to? Um, they came and, you know, they took this truck one night and I didn't even know it. It came out and it was gone. They took your, tr- your truck they got re- towed? They took they the repoed truck. It? They yeah. repoed it? They repoed it. Oh, yeah. man. Ouch. Yeah. And that's not nothing. Any uh, Nobody likes to share that. No. You know? I never liked to share that prior to coming back to christ right everybody else would be like yeah they just i just got rid of it (laughs) i got rid of it all right (laughs) but you know in the end it was uh god was opening up doors that i had been praying for that i didn't even know he was answering Mm -hmm. it was a dangerous prayer yes yes he took he took things away from me he took things away and it was like it was humbling all of it from the ultimatum to the car to sitting on my chair my armchair in my own house saying how am I going to get out of this mess? What am I going to do? I didn't know what to do, to be honest. I was four months behind in that house. And I was like, we're going to lose this thing. And, um, you know, I, I God said, you needed to go back to where I told you to go back. How it all started, Jeff. I'm right here. And I, I started opening up my Bible. I was like, God, give me something. Give me some words. And it's lo and behold, it, it, this all ties into my oldest brother, right? I'm going to bring you guys into uh, why and how we ended up at Thrive. So my brother had passed away and we didn't know where to do the funeral. So going to Pastor Bo, because my mom and dad were at the church, went to Pastor Bo and asked him if he could do the funeral because it was really our, our, one of our, our immediate family's first death, right? And was this your, your older brother or younger brother? brother. Not, okay. My older brother, okay. yeah. And uh, he died of cirrhosis, by the way. Yeah, you know, that's right. That's, that's an ugly death. That is an ugly, ugly death. death. Alcoholism is an ugly, ugly way to go. Um, but through all that, it's another story I have on top of that. But through all that, you know, Pastor Bo was reached out and uh, he did the funeral. Um, and I, you know what amazed me is these, these people were so willing to serve downstairs with the family with food. You know, I don't even know who brought the food. I can't even remember, to be honest. It was just, I know there was food down there. And somebody brought it and somebody brought paper plates and I was so thankful for that mm. and God spoke to me in those moments and I was like oh, this is the church this is it this is the place we're coming to they serve yeah. that was the biggest thing I just seeing people that don't even know me serve me like they knew me that's amazing like they loved that you. was amazing yeah, like they loved yeah. you. I encourage anybody out there you find a church like that man lock latch on right stick to it um, so going through that that's that's really you know God pulling me out of the fire and so I want to start tithing to church and God said show me and I'll show you right mm-hmm. so I start tithing and uh, it's amazing and 
it was amazing what started happening in my life. You know, from the car being taken to it being replaced with a brand new, you know, Dodge. And this is why you're all, this is why you're going through that struggle where you're starting to lose stuff. You started giving to God during yeah, that process. Yeah, I started, in the losses, I started giving. And uh, I, it wasn't to give, to get. It was just, you know what, if you're going to step, I was always that guy that if you're going to step in, step in all the way. Mm -hmm. Don't do not do halfway out and halfway in because that don't work. Right? So I said, don't sit if we're going in, guess what happens when you go in? I'm going to tithe. That's what I did, you know, because my parents have always tithe. You know, with, with what little income they had, they always tied no matter what. So going through the uh, the losses, I started tithing. And, uh, you know, I, one day I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to apply for a loan for this house and see if we can get something for my 401k. Because they don't, 401k is like, you can touch that later when it's got to be a hardship and it's tough to get to, everybody told me. Yeah. So I thought I'd try. And it came back like in, cheese an hour the guy said yeah no problem we can help you out with uh what do you need so i told him how much i needed he gave it to me you know and, and i it was an, another amazing thing that check was like <laughs> overnighted and i said oh man and we had like i gotta say we had probably a couple weeks to settle this out yeah with where they were going with this house to wow yeah foreclose or whatever however that uh -huh. works i didn't get there i'm thankful so we send that check off and i'm caught up it just, just like, like that, that. <laughs> and i said wow i, I told her like, it's amazing like we just we're out of that that burden is off of our shoulders god cleared me of these high payments on this truck i had to affordable payments i had on a car and i was like man do you see how it's working the, even the insurance went down right so, so financially <laughs> and not that when you tie it everything just comes back financially but god started to see my heart right that's what i want to point out he started to see my heart looking for him wanting to be right with him right first and foremost mm. and that's where the blessing really was is god bringing me back you know like a prodigal son yeah. hugging me as i walked through that door stepping out of the world and into his arms stepping out of the world i, I it, it's literally a prodigal son testimony you know now i wanted to, to circle back around to when you were talking about your wife giving you an ultimatum now in that moment when you're about to get divorced and your wife gives you an ultimatum, you had some choices to make. What were some of those determining factors that would help you guide you to be the man that you are today and turn your relationship around? Oh, it, it was, those determining factors were looking at my family, looking at my sons and saying, what, what future do I want for them? Really? Um, the other determining factor was what I had been praying for anyway. It's like, God, when are you going to take me out of this mess? Right? Because mm -hmm. I didn't know how I was getting out of the mess. I, I just knew that I couldn't say no to anybody. You know, if you invited me somewhere back then, yes, right? If you're going to a bar, yes, we'll go. Yes, we can be there. Yes, we could be here. Um, I was praying for God to give me that no, that mm. no spirit, right? Be like, refuse it. Nope, I can't Turn do your it. back on it. And uh, that's what I was looking for. That ultimatum was the uh, ultimate prayer answered, I guess I could say. Nice. It, it was it was your yes to the no. Yeah. It was your yes it, for the no. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you, Jeff, because you have mentioned a few times uh, your parents and some of your, uh, you know, stories you've shared with us. Um, and I, I know you shared a story about your father. What kind of man was he? Man, Mike, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy you ask because uh, his picture's still on my phone today, mm -hmm. you know, 
most times you like ah I, I, he passed away you know 2020 March 17th but you know I and most people would done remove the picture and take it off but what he stood for is his perseverance and what he believed and how he believed um, and learning about my dad as as I sat with him in the home because you know we had to get him in the home because he couldn't walk no more but sitting with him every day in the home and hearing some of his stories and hearing stories I knew, but him telling me more detail about these stories, it was humbling, humbling. And, and that story goes, you know, when he was a young man, he was uh, left home. He lived in Del Norte, Colorado. He came home one day and everybody was gone. His mom had passed away a lot earlier in life when she was 35, but his dad had moved on into Dem- to Denver and up northern Colorado, but left he, he was left behind somehow that part I could never like get clear I was like how does somebody just leave you there yeah. right you know he was 14 and uh he said he he uh had a, a cousin still in Del Norte, one of the family members so that cousin took him under his wing and uh said Dave we'll find our way to Denver and you got to think these are guys with no money nothing in their pocket they just got to find their way so they worked their way through Colorado working on you know different farms and helping out where they could, um, earning money, trying to find their way to Denver. And it was a hardship to come to Denver. I was like, for us today, it'd be nothing to drive from Del Norte to Denver. Like, no problem. We'll get a bus, right? right. But you got to think there was, he had, there was no money involved. He had nothing. So, you know, hear my dad's story. He uh, worked on a lot of farms, helped a lot of people out. Um, one particular story that sticks out is he would spend the night in these fields, you know, as the the, the guy who moved the water hose from one trench to the next trench and he would spend night and watch the he said basically he'd watch the the moon go down and the sun come up and he would take that water from trench to trench and in the morning they'd hope to collect their pay from the farmer you know from the guy who owned it oh wow and uh, i was like you spent the night out on a field like watering it watering he's like yeah that's what we had to do for money the older cousin would come and help in the daytime but my dad was the one that stood I was like why wouldn't he stay at night and you do the daytime right uh, but it, it just didn't work like that so they moved their they worked their way up those palisade and through all the western towns of Colorado he made his way to Denver when he found his family in Denver they, they didn't recognize him because it, this is we're talking by the time he made it here he was like 18 I want to say um, they didn't recognize him from 14 to 18 took him three years to get to Denver took him three years to work his way up here working on place different places and hanging out with this cousin and you know he's basically somebody he was under their their wing that sounds like a journey yeah (laughs) yeah. like a straight up journey yeah yeah so he worked his way up and then uh I and that's where I I dug in and I was like so this is where this guy gets his work ethic from his work ethic was uh you know you just don't miss work you get up in the morning you go to work and you support your family and you get there early. You get there at 6 a.m. If you start at 7, you get there at 6. And he, I would always observe him. He'd read the newspaper in, you know, in the mornings at home and take off to work. And he probably read the newspaper even more, drink his coffee, and get the mindset going before he started work. But I, I could say I never saw this man literally miss work. Like it, just, it was just his thing he did. And he came home. You know how you have some people like, they're just workaholics? Uh-huh. My dad wasn't a workaholic. He just was like, he came off as that's his responsibility right nice. he just he's like this is what you're gonna that's do that's a difference yeah yeah he wasn't when time off was time off sabbath was sabbath for him you know rest was rest right 
he knew all that. And so I take it he was a godly man. Yeah. He was a yeah, believer, yeah. right? Yeah, he's definitely a believer. He brought us all up in the church. He he played uh, with his brothers in a band, and they traveled all to Colorado, and uh, he played the bass. And, yeah, I got that bass today. Nice. And, uh, yeah, he just that was my dad, man. He uh, he really left the uh, the weight the weight of his um, upbringing and the weight weight of his influence on me. So yeah. did he ever have a conversation with you about what it means to be a man or what a man should do? Did you get any guidance in terms of being... You know, my dad was a quiet, quiet, humble man, and most of it was action. Most of it was action. When you seen him, it was a, I, as a kid, it, I just observed. You know, I observed him when he talked to my older brother, I observed him when he uh, talked to my mom. I just observed. I really learned off of just watching okay. what he did. Really, he never had to have a conversation with me. You know, if he was angry with me, well, guess what? I knew his anger. You know, he had mm-hmm. a, he, his anger would come down like the wrath of oof, the paddle that he was carrying, right? <laughs> Very good at discipline, for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's how his, his, conversa- his, his actions really applied the, uh, what I learned in life. And how to treat people when somebody you know needed something i've seen him go do it i never seen him talk about it i never seen him say hey son when you see somebody in need this is what you do no i just observed him go do it mm. that's that's really and it. how did that shape your view of manhood Ooh, good one i think my view of manhood carries that same perspective you know if you're gonna say you're gonna do something do it um get out uh, take it take the action you know i, I know uh a lot of times words only go so far but when you stop take your nose out of the book take your nose out of out of uh, your own business out of your own life get up and like you guys are doing you just do it get up and do it right you know i don't know it's i just think applying action is the greatest greatest words you can or or the greatest uh, example you can set that right. is true i would yeah. agree yeah. with you uh and i like what you said when we were talking about like a worldly man and you said all I got to do is look at myself and look at what I've done in the Oof, world. Yeah. And, and I like that because those were some of the examples of, of what, what came to mind when I was thinking of it is just the same thing like lacking belief in God intimacy with God being self-centered Yeah. right and then there's also like I think a worldly pursuit of cultural status we all want that status or we want to move up a class right and that's something to be a world satisfying sexual desires I mean, we're men after all. Like yeah. we're, we're 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 attracted. <laughs> we're sexually, we're visually attracted to women. Like yeah. anything visual turns us on. And so I thought those were some pretty interesting characteristics of a worldly person. Now I want us to get back to like let's define what a godly man is. And the best, you know, I, I was I, I couldn't really find that in the Bible. I found examples, <laughs> but, but so trying to look at it, I was thinking like, okay, so a godly man loves God with all his heart, soul, and mind and strives towards becoming more like Jesus every day in his walk with the Lord. So that's what I, that's what popped up into mind when I was thinking of, okay, well, how do we, how do we define what a, what, a, what a godly man is or what a godly man should look like? So let's get into our first topic when we come right back. So let's get to our first topic of the day, and that is putting God first. And I think in terms of order of men, 
right? The order of man. There you go. That sounds very manly. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think in the first order of things, when we talk about becoming a godly man, the first step is putting God first in your life. And we all have different priorities when it comes to life. And if we're honest, like I don't always put God first in my life, though it is now now I am learning how to do that. Those priorities include like family, work, financial, and social status. I often think about like, well, what does God require from us? And I found here in Micah 6, 8, um, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And this got me thinking like, Jeff, when you were talking about coming in, coming from a situation where you were about to lose everything, and you started putting God first in terms of a financial way, right? You started giving to him first. What other ways when you were going through those hard times, did you start learning how to put God first in your life? You know what I, what I realized putting God first really meant was I living according to God's will, right? And what did that mean? Well, it meant that here I got this family and I wasn't being the man that God wanted me to be in that family, mm, right? My first ministry. So guess what? Sometimes you mistake and say, I got to do more studying. I got to read more books. I got to hear more podcasts. I got to hear more, watch more YouTube videos, right? Mm-hmm. But your child invited you to go watch his game or your child wants you to be there present Ooh. for them in the, in, the, in the time they're needed. They just want you to listen to them. Mm. Mm. I had to take my mindset and say, flip that and like sometimes the meaning of of being a godly man and and being there how god wants me to be is being there for my family right being present with my child hearing and understanding them um i'll touch on coaching i would have never been able to coach football had i been in the world of drinking still because you guys know hangovers Mm -hmm. right hangovers (laughs) hangovers ain't nothing nice and, Especially uh, being out there in the sun, if you're trying they, to coach they, a game, they, they, <laughs> and that's and that's you, why I didn't ever stop drinking because I, I was afraid of those. I was drunk all the time, man. You, you yeah. fail every Saturday morning game, like yeah. oh, I don't know if I can make it. Right? Now hold on, what were you coaching? <laughs> I was, I, football, football. Yeah. Um, in in like like I used to coach in the I nine league, which is like the little flag football for young kids, oh, yeah, and then yeah. all the way through Spartans, and then my son went to high school. We're, were you in a league like that? Yeah, we, we got uh, my son and me. We got uh, an invite to coach uh, on a league that was just starting or an organization that was starting, Little Generals Football. Uh-huh. And uh, that's where we started. You know, we started coaching uh, my younger son, um, fourth grade on, and that's, you know, really took him up to high school. But that's where we started. It's man. not a blessing. It's yeah. so fun to do that. So, how did that change you? Or so you shifted your focus to being there with your son, right? Yeah. So, you know, and. In, in, Going back to, you know, what God wanted me to do is I, I just needed to be present, right? Mm. Be present in their lives. And that was uh, really, really the, the meaning of, for me, being a godly man was starting right there in my own backyard, right? In order yeah. to, how can, I, how can I influence others? How can I teach others if I can't even handle my own backyard, right? My own, in my own household. Exactly. Right? And, and it ultimately, it came down to how I treated my wife, right? improving that listening and hearing doing the things that i never did before um and and not being sensitive to anything because i'll tell you what i wasn't wasn't really a sensitive person to anything i didn't really care um other than thinking i'm just the paycheck right i'm the guy who brings the money home 
you this is how it is this is how it goes it's the way we're gonna live right <laughs> bada bing bada bang but yeah um that's that was it for me man it's just god speaking to me in uh in my life and saying look back jeff look back at your family start there yeah and and how easy is it for us as guys to check out from our families my wife would constantly remind me like david are you here like, are you here? Because I was either wrapped up in work, sidetracked with hobbies, and I did. Every, I, I was doing most of the stuff thinking that I was doing it for my family, but what they really wanted for me was to be present, and therefore I forsake my first ministry. Amen. So that's the problem that I think a lot of men who are even listening to this podcast struggle with. It. That's what I still have that problem. Yeah, yeah. I still it's struggle tough. with that because my wife's always like. You have all these other things to do, but you when it's time for us, you're too tired or too busy. You know, it's like I had I had my my wife and my family on on the bottom of the checklist of things to you know to spend my time with, and that was that's one of my biggest hurdles right now. You know, in my marriage and uh, in my household is uh, where am I putting my time at? Where's my investment at? Yeah. You know, and and you could see it. And I, and I I shared this with the men's group too when I was talking about your garden. Right, God has given you a garden, mm-hmm. and and my garden is dying. Everybody else is, has fruits and green leaves, and it's beautiful, it's it's flourishing, but mine is is dying. And uh, I'm like, God, what you know, what's what is this all about? And I look down, and he's like, Look at your hands. I look at my hands. I'm like, Oh, they're clean. What about them? He's like, Exactly, mm. exactly. That's the problem. Your hands right. are dirty, you know. So that's uh, putting my time. Uh, with my family first and, and it's a hard for me it's a hard pill to swallow and I don't know why and it, it's to me it's like I, I prayed for my family to have a family you know growing up that's all I wanted was a family and God gave me a family and now it's like well what like it's what am I like supposed to short, do now it's, it's short lived <laughs> right it's like getting yeah. a new car you know you, you have it and then you drive it a wh- uh, for a while, and it's like, okay, well, you know, what's next? And I don't, I, I don't know where that mentality came from, or was taught from, or even if it was just nobody taught me different or better. But it just, it, it takes a toll on your marriage, it you know. Does. And when, when I'm like, well, I, I need to go do this, and I need to go do that, because that's who I am, and, and that's my identity, and, and that's who, that's how where I get respect and that's you know like we we, I put all those hurdles in front of my wife's arguments because I feel like you know like that's I'm losing something you know in in that in that spectrum instead of gaining uh, gaining my relationship that God has given me with my wife and with my kids and everything else so you know that's I don't know that's that's a tough one for me to it is a tough thing to talk about and I think one of the things you said, Mike, was, and I heard this this week in a in a class, um, not at not a Recovery Road, but I shared it with Recovery Road, <clears throat> and it was uh, I, the guy said, "How do you gain trust?" And you know, me being part of Recovery Road, I was like, oh, "This is easy." I told him relationship. You know, he went around the class, and I told him relationship. You got to build relationship in order to gain trust. He's like, "Well, uh, how do you build relationship?" And I said, "That's easy too. Time." give your time right mm. and then he said Jeff he goes I'm gonna tell you one thing present he goes you got to be present with the time that you're spending with them right mm, that's like, the key good point I said you know what I'm gonna, I wrote it down 
took that note because I've used that word, but I didn't really see it in that in that order, right? Repeat that. Repeat that again. You got to be present. You got to be present in the time that you're spending with someone. That's right? powerful. I so, love that. You know, we can all have the clock, right? In, in my, man, I was with my wife three hours a day, but how much of that time were you present with her? That was a powerful mm. word for me because I told the guy, I raised my hand, I was like, man, I'm guilty. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah, you and me both. I'm yep. sitting here thinking like, yes, ouch. Like, I'm here, I'm with you, but are you really here? Oh my gosh. As we're moving along, there's also a piece that comes to putting God first where that's a sacrifice that comes to mind, right? Amen. And I'm going to read from Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Great, great stuff. I want to just mention, like, what are some of the benefits when we put God first in our life real quick? Like, what are some of the benefits that we see from that as men? I think for me, it's and and this is the stuff that I'm going through now is uh, mine is peace, having peace. peace. And I think as men in our heads, we don't have peace. There's always a, a war going on in some sort, it, whether it's yeah. with our flesh whether it's with our wives. I don't know how many arguments I've won in my head uh, with my <laughs> wife, but I'm undefeated. I know that, <laughs> you know, so, but it's for me, I, I have so much in my mind running all the time. And there, there's a point, you know, where, where God has me right now, remolding me, right? Mm -hmm. he, he's breaking me and being broken is not, it's not easy and it's not fun. It's not a good, it's not something that you look forward to as a Christian man. Like, oh, I can't wait for God to break me, you know, because I want to feel this suffering. And I want to feel this loneliness, you know, and, and, but it has to happen. It, it has to happen because that's the only way. I don't want to speak for all men, but I know for me, that's the only way I can learn is, is when I'm broken. And when I'm, when I'm, a, when I'm alone, when I'm alone with God, when I'm, when I'm crying and arguing to him and shouting at him, like pointing things out, like you have me here, right? You know, you have those conversations with God, like, this, and I always say, you know, and it's like, this is your daughter, you made her and, and you have me with her. Like, why am I here now? Like, why am I feeling this way? Like this and that. And I'm being honest, like yeah. these are the conversations that I have with God because I just don't know. I just don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I, I don't want to ask what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't want to to other men. Yeah, you don't wanna, I, I, no, I don't want to say. I get that. I, I don't want to say. You know, like, hey, my my uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, falling my, apart. Yeah, everything's <laughs> everything's falling apart around me. Uh, why is that? <laughs> like, what did I do wrong? You know, because we don't want to be wrong, nope. and we don't want to put yourself uh, out there like that. Yeah, and and I think we have. Uh, a mindset of you know like we've been taught like just keep it in and and man up and get up and you know but what i found it is okay to to be alone with god it is okay Amen. to be broken with god it is okay to not know with god and that's the difference between the the struggles i have now 
compared to the struggles I had even last year where I wasn't running to God first and I wasn't putting God first in anything I was doing. God was my last resort when I couldn't do it anymore or when I couldn't put it back together fast enough or when someone couldn't help me do it. God was my last option in the time of where I'm at in my walk with Christ and and being broken and being rebuilt and put back together um that that old habit that old old heart issue of of not relying on God um had to be dealt with and and I believe this is the way he's you know pulling it out of me and, and to really get alone with him for the last two weeks where a year ago Mike would have been crying would have been sad would have been coming from a hurt quote-unquote uh, victim place mm -hmm. and spilling out all my uh, all my mishaps and all the things that people done wrong to me and being a victim right and everything but this time around it's like God had me broke me showed me fixed me and now when I when I'm sharing with people when I'm talking with people I'm not speaking about anybody from a victim's mentality I'm speaking from a healed mentality because I know where God has me going and I know what needs to be done and I know what needs to be said but if I'm going to allow myself to fall back to the old Mike's ways of of always putting God last I'm going to be that same guy all yeah, the time. It's nothing, nothing's ever going to change until I got alone with God and started putting God first and everything. And even if it, in my hardships, even, even in my sin, even in my, um, my mishaps or even in my, my discussions with the way I talk to people or, uh, like I shared one, you know, here, and, uh, I think last time or time before, but you know, one of the things that, that I got confronted with was uh, using my wife as the punchline of my jokes. You know, what kind of man does that? What kind of husband does that? You know, where, where your wife's the, um, the punchline of your joke. That, that, that yeah. to me, that was such a hard day to look in the mirror when, when I was confronted with that. It, it was, man, it was like you saw the ugliness in yourself, in myself. I saw it. Yeah. I, I, I saw the, I saw my wife's broken heart. I couldn't understand why I was doing that. And I, in, in one of my discussions with God, when I was talking to him, I was, I was like, I didn't, I didn't break my wife's heart like that before, you know, like all her broken heart before she met me. Right. Those, those are all that was broken before, before me, God, like, why am I suffering from it? And he showed me this vision in my mind where I seen my wife's heart and I seen broken pieces. And it was from a distance. God told me to lift my hand. And so I have my eyes closed and I'm praying, right? So I lift my hand and I have my, my hands, my fingers stretched out. And it's in. he's like, do this. And he has, he's like, look at your hand. And I'm looking at my hand and I close my eyes. And when I close my eyes, my wife's heart is right in front of my face. And all those broken pieces, my hand fit in. And it's like, you didn't break those pieces, but you fix them. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that is powerful. Thanks for sharing that, Mike. And I just wanted to read a little bit of scripture um, from Psalms 112, verses 1 through 5. 
And this kind of puts it in perspective in the benefit of putting God first in your life. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. And that's another point that I, that, that I believe that when you start putting God first, it changes your family tree. And my wife and I are the first in our family to serve Jesus. And I, I look at it like we started at the bottom so and then we started working our way up so that our kids didn't have to start at the bottom and and therefore our kids are getting stuff that we've learned from putting god first and all of the people that god has brought around us to change the way our family is going even our family like her my wife's family as well as mine they they don't we, they don't, we don't have conversations about god with them but when we start doing that it changes your family tree and god blesses yes. the generation right yes and so I think that's a benefit of putting God first in your life. Anything else anybody wants to add to that? No, I, I just wanted to step back to, uh, I heard the word fix. Mike was talking earlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, it took me to this, this thing in my mind where when you think of a, a mechanic's car, right? I'm mm -hmm. going to use the mechanic's garage as a, an example. The, usually the mechanic's cars usually run pretty well, right? They should. <laughs> right? He's a mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good one. And auto body guys, right? Usually an auto body guy's car should be straight, right? Some of them custom, right? You guys mm -hmm. see them, guys. And often you often see them out in car shows, and you're like, man, he must be a car junkie, you know? And you go to his garage, and he's probably got it all set Tools up. Tools everywhere. Everything in there, right? Lifts in there. So I think about us in our lives, right? If, if you're the person who you're never pulling yourself your car into the garage, if you can m bear with me for a minute, right? Mm -hmm. You're never at the garage, but you spend most of your time out in the streets and you're just driving it up and down the street, but you never you never put any care into it. You never change your oil. and you, it, The least you do is change your oil, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes being parked in that garage, being parked under Christ, is, is he's the builder. He's the mechanic. He's what keeps you straight. He's mm. what keeps everything running smooth. So when we when we depend on him and trust in him, Guess how we're running? We're running smooth, right? Right. We're able to get through that because we can got we got a garage to go back to. My oil's dirty, I got a garage to go back to. My fender's dented, I got a garage I can go back to, right? Um, but I think of the fix. You know, we're always in for the fix, right? We're always in for God to do something in our lives. We're right. always looking for that to help us grow and become stronger as men. Yeah. And you got to take the time to park. I like that. I yeah. like that analogy because. That's what you were saying too, like finding time to be quiet and alone with God. Yeah. And and it's and that, that's what I was thinking when you said too, like pulling into the garage. It's, it's park and being still and knowing, uh, knowing what is it? Be still and know that I am God. Amen. That's yeah. good stuff. All right. That so is. let's transition over to number two, which this flows into. And that is a godly man is focused on God's word. So a godly man understands that all scripture is breathed out by God and continually focuses on growing closer to God through his word. And in 2 Timothy um, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how 
from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through the faith of Jesus of Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, this is an area, and I like what Jeff, you were saying, just do, right? You're like, yeah. do the action. And, and for us, doing the action of, of actually taking the time to read God's word, not just go to church and hear from the pastor, mm -hmm. but for you to discover what his word has to say and take an interest in that. Because how else are you going to know what his will is if you never take the time to spend with him to learn about the will? So those are some of the areas that I wanted to cover in terms of for a godly man, you have to start learning his word. What we do know is what are the impacts of not focusing on God's word? Now, in my experience, I can tell and my wife can tell when I'm in when I'm going to the garage and getting my tune up and when I'm not. Mm. And I don't know why that is. It's like when I can I can take a hiatus and stop listening to sermons, stop going sure. to church. But then I notice that my demeanor and my attitudes start to change. It's almost like the old man is calling me saying, hey, man, let's go hang out. I, I'm over here. Yeah. And then, and then my mind starts, you know, I'm, I'm short. My mind starts thinking negative And I just tend to backslide. And I don't know why as believers we're like that. Because I always think like, okay, well, hey, I'm saved. I mean, why do I got to do all this maintenance work? Shouldn't I just be saved and shouldn't my mind be renewed? Sure. But it don't work like that. Yeah. No, I, I think there was, uh, I, and I'm going to steal this from uh, uh, Mike Vigil. And he, he, he said it from someone else. So this is uh, uh, the telephone game. So <laughs> bear with me if I butcher, if I butcher it. But um, they, were doing, they were getting ready for making a promo for the radio station, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the wives had came in and, and she like, I don't know the context I don't remember the context of the conversations or what was going on and stuff, but, but she walks in and she, boom, hits her fist on the on the table. She goes, "If you're free from sin, then why do you still sin?" You know, like it, like it was very. I, I don't know if it, that was the exact way she said it, but I believe that's the way Mike <laughs> re uh, re uh, said what she said. But I started thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, why do we do that? Why 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 do we still get caught up in our sin? If we're free from sin, if Christ freed us from our sin, and we 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 choose to uh, to confess our sins, but why are we still walking with our sin, right? Mm. Yeah. So then, are we really free from our sin? I, I tend to think it's our environment a lot of the times too, right? Like it always says that we have an enemy, right? The devil always at us, but I think we do we ourselves do a good job of destroying ourselves. It's in our nature to want to gratify our own selfish needs. I think that's just in our nature to do it. And without, without some type of North Star or compass, we, we fall into sin, which means we fall into being selfish and pleasing our own selfish desires. And a lot of times that's not always holy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to talk, the, the point number three that I want to talk about as, as us moving and learning towards becoming a godly man is we need to learn how to embrace the lion and the lamb. Let me just give a little context about that, and then I want us to dive into talking about this. So the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb are two distinct names for God that are used in Scripture that describe elements of Christ's nature. One being, one being Revelation 5.5, 5, where it says, 
But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then in John um, chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, in context to our conversation about becoming a godly man, there are two areas we need to learn to embrace. And I want to start with the lion, which represents power and strength, ferocity, courage, and being a protector, right? When you think of a lion in the wild. And then you got the lamb, which represents sacrifice, vulnerability, gentleness, innocence, and purity. So as men, we need to learn to embrace both of them. Here's what I find is fascinating. For a lot of men, and I'm sure you've probably discovered this in Recovery Road or even in your own lives, when we've fallen and we've fallen into sin, whether that is, uh, you know, pornography, drugs, anger, we have all those sin issues, right? And we carry that. If we never deal with that, we're constantly in like this uh, survival mode, if you will, where we're constantly thinking like, oh, I gotta survive. I gotta be the man. I gotta be the lion. Or you might have the machismo thing. Where it's like, hey, ain't nobody gonna tell me nothing. You know, if you got a problem, we're gonna fight. You look at me wrong, we're gonna fight. And some men spend almost their whole lives walking around with that type of mentality, which has to be exhausting, right? You cannot be a lion 24 seven without eventually uh, murdering somebody or, or blowing up on somebody. And then to balance the lion, we have to have the lamb. And, and most of us don't know how to balance that because what do we do with all of these emotions? Um, we bury that. We're, we're excellent at burying our emotions. And then we bleed all over somebody who didn't cut us. And that's something that I want us to deal with. And I just want to bring this up real quick before I start asking some questions here. And there's this there's this guy I read. Um, I, I love watching his videos and I read about him. His name is Jason Wilson. And he's the author of Cry Like a Man. And he has this acronym and it's called THUG. <laughs> right? THUG. Like when you hear THUG, you think of THUG life and everything like that. But this acronym means traumatized humans unable to grieve. And he states that if a man cannot grieve, he cannot love. How many times have you pushed stuff down that's been bugging you and you never addressed it, whether that was fighting with your wife, feeling insufficient in an area of your life, and then all of a sudden, it could be a child, it could be somebody who didn't deserve it, you just blow up on them because you did not take the time to go park in that garage and deal with your stuff. Has that ever happened to you guys? Oh, yeah. I think... Just that one example I used for uh, first when I was reco uh, attending Recovery Road and uh, holding everything in. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I had that many tears buried inside my my soul, you know, for, for them two men that were now gone, mm -hmm. um, now three, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I still deal with grief, um, but I deal with grief in a different way now, you know, and um, I think letting it build up, it's like walking around with a, like with a bullet hole and you're bleeding, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to tell anybody you're bleeding. You don't want to show anybody that there's a hole inside your, your gut, right? That, that's just taking everything from you. Um, it's better to hide it, right? Because it's, it's a weakness. You, you were exposed, right? Mm -hmm. um, but as soon as you allow somebody to say, look, I have this, I need help. I have a hole here. I'm bleeding out, right? right? Then you can be that transparency that you can now they're aware people are aware you can, you can get help right um too many times us as men we uh we carry it all in the inside 
I carried a lot of pain with the alcoholism, treating my kids and talking to my kids in a, in a, just a, a rough manner, you know, like I'd come home being a grouch and, mm-hmm. uh, tell them I need this done. And I was, I was a foreman at work and I was a foreman at home. Everybody had to do what I said, you know, and my wife would tell me, you ain't a foreman here. because that's how i was my mentality was like just give orders and you you get in that mindset yes what you're doing but um going back to being transparent i couldn't ask for help until people actually knew my pain right Right. and mike you know this you know it it was like nobody is really going to know what you really have deep down inside until you're able to talk to somebody about it and mainly god you know and god puts this person in your path Mm -hmm. and guess what there it is i I, this is god hearing you right now he's got somebody right there in front of you to help you get along your your pain yeah now that you you say that uh this reminds me of when i was growing up because i was taught to never show weakness or um and and it was it was like that with my cousins you know because i grew up kind of not in a normal setting so, uh, like my older cousins and my older half brother and stuff, and they'd see you cry and they'd beat you up even more, you know, like, mm-hmm. like that. And then also, uh, growing up with, uh, parents in the household, uh, being addicts, if you were to get hurt while they were high, you would get a whooping because you would mess up their high. Right. Don't so you, you, you would wow. never, I was never allowed to show weakness, hurtness or cry ever. And, uh. I know it's probably a shock to to you, Jeff, or anybody else that's known me, because that's all I do now is is cry, is cry. But uh, here's where I'm getting to: is um, I had a my appendix erupt in my fir- I was in my first foster home, and my appendix erupted. I didn't tell anybody, and it was painful. It hurt, and uh, my foster mom, her name was Carol. She come in to wake me up for school. And I was like, oh, I don't feel good. It, it hurt. I just said I was sick. And so she let me stay home from school. And and then the next day, throughout the day, you know, she's checking on me and stuff. And because she was, uh, I think she was a nurse or something, you know. So she's like checking my fever and all that stuff. And, um, and then the next morning she comes in and she's like, hey, how do you feel? And I was like, I can't move. Like it, the pain got so bad that I was in a fetal position hugging a pillow because that was Mm. the only thing that made me feel tolerant to the pain and uh she looked at me and she goes oh my god we got to get you to the hospital because my skin color was changing and so they rushed me to the hospital and the doctors uh they go where does it hurt and i pointed to my side and he didn't he saw my face my color where i was hurt he's like we need to get him to emergency surgery right now. And they took me and they said that if they would have wait, if we would have waited another hour, another half hour, I would have died on the way to the hospital because all that poison from my mm-hmm. intestines were leaking out into my body. Mm. I was dealing with that pain as a child because I was too afraid to tell my foster parents that I was hurting, that something hurts. And so I was willing to die before I was able to say that I was hurt. Yeah, inconvenience somehow. You know, and I went through um, th- uh, two surgeries. I was in the hospital for 
a total of like uh, 16 months because it was the first one. I was in the hospital for like three or four or five months where they had to monitor me. Obviously, they were pulling out all the, the poison and stuff. And then um, when I got sent home and I was able to go back to school, I had my, my body was cut open and I had a tube sticking out of it. And I had to change it every two hours because the poison was still being sucked out of my body. Mm. And then I had to go, you know, get get it cleaned out. Uh, I had to have surgery to close up the the, you know, the intestine and everything else. And then I had to go again to get my muscle stuff sewn up. And then they had to like put this stuff in me to make sure that my intestines weren't leaking. It was a lot. Like it was a long, long process and every. And now that I'm older and I look back and it's like, hmm. like how much damage do, do we as men do to our kids by telling them to man up, by telling them to get up, by telling them to shake it off, by telling them that uh, tough it out. Like yeah. that was th- like, th- I look back and I'm like, man, like I, I should have died. Yeah, yeah. I should have died. And it was all because I was taught to not show weakness and to tough it out. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't serve us any good. And that's why that's why when I heard of the you know of the lion and the lamb, yeah, I think that helps us become a balanced man because yes, we, we do need to learn how to be dangerous when time calls for it. Yes. Right. And I was hearing this uh, in a podcast where Jordan Peterson was talking about like a dangerous man is a man who knows how to use the sword but chooses to keep it restrained. Right, like, Ooh. hey, I know how to use, you know, I, I know how to be lethal, but I'm also going to show the self-discipline to be restrained. Yes. And so when we talk about um, embracing the lion and the lamb, yes, if somebody, you know, a threat comes, your family or anything else, you need to be able to respond to that. That's part of being a godly man too, is learning to protect what's yours. But the lamb part of it should be the part where we're learning how to sacrifice. We're learning to teach our sons and daughters that it is okay to deal with this junk because we grew up in a society that told us not to cry, not to show any emotion. And look how that turned out for us. We need to be the ones to say, look, it's okay for you to cry, son. Go ahead, let it out. Now let me help you with that. And it's okay for us to sit there and have a tea party with our daughters and to show that vulnerability because we are that example. And we need to be that in society because we cannot, we'll burn ourselves out if we're constantly trying to act tough. And it serves us no purpose. It only causes drama. The only time, think of a lion, right? What does a lion do most of the day? He sleeps. It sleeps, right? Like, you want to be a lion all the time, right? But, but it is the king of the jungle, so, so to speak. So yeah. I think us learning how to show vulnerability is important. And... I think when we do show vulnerability, it opens the door for our own healing and for us to heal others. Because like you were saying, Jeff, when, when, when we learn to be relatable, like when I see, when I'm hearing your story, I'm like, I'm going through that. I can feel that. I can, I can resonate with that. It opens me up to want to talk about that. And then once you both start talking about that, what occurs? Healing. Right. You, you can't fix what you don't talk about or what you don't acknowledge. If we don't acknowledge that we're hurting... We're never going to get to fix it. And then again, we're going to bleed all over somebody who didn't cut us. Ooh. All right. I like that one. Um, you know, I, I was thinking back to, you know, back to the lion and the lamb. Um, I thought about when you guys are talking, I'm hearing the, the mic said, man, I, I use that a lot. I man up, right? Mm-hmm. Get up, stop crying. I was falling short on words. 
when I would use them words, right? I would tell my kids, my sons, you know, to man up all the time. You know, whether it was you get hurt out in the yard, throwing the trash, like you go throw that trash, man up. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Manning up is also a, a form of responsibility. It is. Right? I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. So you got to be very careful on what we get out there to, to our children. But here's where, I, here's where I'm going with it. Teaching moments, right? Mm-hmm. When, when you're the lion in your family, you find more teaching moments. We're man up, get up, stop crying. Those are so few words, right? Instead of saying, I'm going to teach him in this moment about what he just went through, yeah. right? I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to be present with him and teach him. So instead of man up, get up, I walk away. I did my, I did my due diligence on raising up a son, right? Now I'm going back. My grandkids can benefit from that now because I'm a different coach than I was early on. Now my grandkid, I'm like, I can tell him, get up, come here, pull him to the side and go have a conversation with him about what he's doing wrong, right? Same thing mm-hmm. with his own little personal life with his little cell phone. I, you know, I could pull him aside and I'm like, here's what you're doing wrong, kid. You know, your dad's not going to like this if you're doing this and your mom's not going to like this. And this is how you got to treat your parents, right? Those are great teaching moments now that I see yeah. being the lion in your family, right? Exactly. Um, taking advantage of the moments and, and expanding on them, um, being able to use them. I always tell people, you can reach somebody without preaching to somebody, mm-hmm. right? You can reach them without preaching to them. Exactly. And, and you find the window of teaching. That's where, it, that's where it all lies. It's teaching as a man. Brother Jeff dropping yeah. some gems on us. And I do got to just say this, and we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll close up with the topic. Some of us as believers need to embrace that lion. And this is something that I personally struggle with, so I'll put it out there, is I've always struggled with the fact of Christianity where, where men, it always seemed feminine to me in terms of the way that it is always geared towards women, the worship and everything else. I never felt like going to church sometimes spoke to me as a man. And I always felt like everything, which it is about love, but I always felt like I'm called to be a doormat. There, there's, there's no aggression. There's none of this as being a, a Christian man. And I'm wondering if that's part of why you don't see sometimes a lot of men going to church because there's a piece of it that doesn't appeal to our primal, our primal nature. And, and, and that's why I wanted to, to talk about, you know, Jesus was the sacrifice, the lamb, but he's also the lion. Remember when we were reading in the Gospels where the, the religious leaders were, were turning the place of worship into a marketplace. And Jesus flipped out and started turning tables. Yeah. There's a time for everything. That's right. And that's what we want to say as becoming a godly man. You don't have to put away your man card in terms of being rough and tumble. You know, showing no. a little bit of that. That is still there. It's, it's encouraged. It's just you need to balance that with grace and mercy and love. And with that being said, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back to close on out. All right, welcome back from the break. How you guys feeling? Good, good. Good. Exposed. 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 You know? <laughs> we're, we're taking it for you guys over there, man. We're taking one for the team because we, we got to talk about this. It's important for us to explore, uh, you know, biblical masculinity and what that looks like. So that way we can get a healthy view of that, okay? And the next topic that we're going to talk about is embracing responsibility. 
And one of God's first responsibilities given to man was to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every little thing. Every living thing, I said, every little thing. But, (laughs) you know, I could say as a society, you know, I think we've done that. We've conquered pretty much all the other stuff. But God has also called men to be, and we talked about this in in our last podcast, but be spiritual leaders over our households and to be a husband. And we're going to talk about Gen- Genesis in Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This part, Jeff, how, how do you view spiritual leadership in your home, and how have you established that? How do I view spiritual yeah. leadership? Mike and I, and I talked about that in the last one, and we barely started learning how to do that. So. Yeah, for myself, um, spiritual leadership. Sometimes I look back, you know, and my when when we go to eat, for instance, you know, and my son, my dad's no longer here. He was the prayer, you know, the prayer before the meal, you know, dad. Um, when my my dad passed, I suddenly felt all these eyeballs look at me and say, "You praying?" Yeah. It was almost like a baton handed in my in, to me that moment, mm. and uh, I picked it up, you know, but I was like, "Man, I'm, I've I've never really had to always." You know, it was about my dad praying over the meat. And uh, I was like, I'm going to pick it up for the family, you know. And, and I'm talking before every party, before, you know, whether there's guests there or not, we are, we're going to pray for our food. We're going to pray mm. before every function. And uh, so I realized it that that spiritual leadership was kind of like a baton passed over because all of a sudden my sons and their families are looking to someone to pray for the meal. Ooh. And uh, it's like kind of like, wow, what an honor this is. And it's a moment where you say, I got to continue leading this family, you know, and I got to continue to speak into them. What I've, what I've been learning lately is like any moment I get, any chance I get, those gifted moments are so precious. Taking uh, the time to spend with my middle son, Jarek, um, and my older son, Jeff, and my youngest son, Jaden, who uh, he loves to talk about the word of God. He loves to we get, we get in depth with it. And it's counters like this that we're sitting on today. We have those discussions, you know, and, yes. and it's a, it's an honor and it's a great thing. But that's where I realized your spiritual leadership in my family, how I view it is, how am I going to speak into my sons? How am I going to uh, get them to start reading the Word of God? How do, how do I get them to start obeying the Word of God even more, right? Mm-hmm. And speaking to them um, in, a, in a way that I build relationship with them at the same time, right? I think I got really good relationship with each of my sons. Um, we, we, you know, a lot of it is discussion. We have great discussions, but it's having that relationship, um, the, the time and the presence with them. Um, that's where I find it. And then my wife, you know, ultimately she's the uh, um, she's the one that hears and listens and sees all things, right? Um, very, very, all. very detailed. <laughs> they all, you know, guys. I, t- I got to say, like. You know, us men, I'm going to touch on that. You know, women are very detail-oriented, right? Yes. Um, I went to the men's group last uh, couple weeks back, and I came home, and she said, so so how'd it go? And I was like, oh, it was good. She's like, well, who's all there? I was like, oh, just the same old guy. And she was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> I was like, well, what, what, what do you want to hear? What did you want to hear? It was hear? good. It was good, right? Yeah. They want the details, and that's what I realized, like, talking to her. is like, they want the they details. Do. So when she talks about me, like, what did you, what did you talk to Jarek about? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I just, we, 
talked a little bit about the Word of God, and you know, he wanted to know uh, some some of the scriptures that he'd been reading, you know, and Jaden always, and she was like, "So, what, what scriptures?" I'm like, "Oh man, oh, she wants to go into detail." Yeah. Um, but that's where I see the spiritual leadership in my household, man. It's just speaking to them and then carrying it out from them. And, and I, I hear these guys have their own conversations with their own friends and their own families. That's like, awesome. That's where the payoff is. And that's where you know, like, did I, am I leading right? Because, guys, I'll be honest, man. I felt like I jumped into uh, uh, God late, right? I jumped into being spiritual, coming back to God, I should say, late in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, my sons were already getting older. And I was like, oh my God, like, what have I done? This is where I, I, I became really, really uh, hit with uh, a moment that I said, what have I done? I spent a lot of years away from God. I didn't raise these little boys up to know God. And, and their way of knowing God was drop them off at grandma's house and she's going to go to church and, you know, good luck. Did you ever get any, did you ever get any pushback from that? Where like, hey, we're... They and I was like, well, you did this. You didn't. You didn't serve God. You didn't do anything yet. Oh yeah. Did you ever get pushed? Because I, I tend to get that sometimes from my kids as well. Like, yeah. Well, you used to be this way. Well, yeah. I'm not that way anymore. Now I'm trying to follow God. But has, has your behavior ever ruined past behavior? It's it's hard for me to hear them bring up my past. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, oh, I remember Dad came home and he was like this and like that. And mm-hmm. man, you know what? Nothing makes you shrink back more than when what they remember yes yes that is <laughs> you know? so true over and over sometimes we'll have a family function and i'm like shh be quiet you ain't gotta bring that up <laughs> you know but uh um, dirt out there like that yeah don't don't be bringing that up again i'm like but i think the ultimate thing is they saw they saw the bad side and they see this new person that's i, I think that's the biggest thing because i've often joked with them and i told mike this i i messed with one of my sons and i told him i'm just gonna go back to what i used to do man and he looked at me with this look in his face like really like i was like me and felipe we had out friday like i just i don't feel it no more and he looked at me and he gave me this look like of just disgusted uh look like no way you wouldn't and i looked at him like of course i wouldn't <laughs> oh know, at least course you had that accountability to yeah, you so that, like, don't it, do looking that at bad. them like, so you know there's you made a difference in their lives even at whatever stage you decided to follow God and turn to God it's never too late uh, because they've seen what you were and now they see what you are mm-hmm. right and you can't uh, there ain't no denying that that change and I like how you said how your dad passed that baton and, yeah. and, and likewise that's kind of what you're doing as well right you're preparing them to pass that baton down I'm trying to, to you yeah. know I'm, I'm, whether they do it or not they take it or not right yeah, like yeah. that's that's to be seen but yeah. I think that's a that's that's what we're striving for yeah right all right, Amen. so that that's one area in terms of responsibilities is us being the spiritual leaders in our household. So the other area where we're, we're called to responsibility is being fathers. Mm. And in Psalms 127, verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Mm. You know, and, and I love when Mike talks about this because Mike... Um, you know, sometimes we, le- we learn from each other. Yeah. And, and a lot of the times um, when you talk about like your love for your kids, I'm, I'm kind of a stoic person. Like I'm, I'm very stoic and I've always yeah. been that way where I, I, I'm kind of don't show a lot of emotions. But I love my kids so much in my heart, but I, I've always struggled to, to show that. 
And then when I hear Mike talking about that and how he, he, he sometimes gets so excited talking about his kids, he almost, oh, yeah. you know, tears start coming out. And I'm like, that's the kind of guys I need around me who are talking about the love for the kids. Yeah. And, you know, and being I'll, a father. I'll tell you what, man. Like, I prayed for a family. I was on my sister's deck. I prayed for God to give me a family. I was like, that's all I want, God. I'm so lonely. You know, I, I didn't have, I was like, God, please just, whatever it takes. Just, I, I just want a family. That's all I want. And I was drunk when I was saying this, right? I was on my sister's deck, and this was when I was like 20 years old. Two weeks later, I met my wife, Angelica, and she had three little babies. And so I had gotten an instant family. Instant, <laughs> instant family. You know, God's like, you, you want, are you sure you want to pray for a family? Cause I got Damn. one, I got one that needs a dad right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I was like, yeah. So I met these kids, man. And, and, um, that I just, I fell in love with them instantly. Mm. It wasn't anything. It was just, it was perfect. Everything about these kids was perfect. And, I needed, I needed, uh, I needed my son and I needed my daughter in those, in, in those moments and throughout my whole life with them. And, um, I remember one of the, one of the greatest days of my life, Isaiah and Natalia, maybe four or five years old at the time, they came up to me just randomly, just came up to me and was like, can we call you dad? Wow. And I was like, I was like, what? They're like, yeah, can, can we call you dad? Cause you're like our dad. And I was like, maybe, well, I don't even think it was a year that maybe it was a few months that Angelica and I were, were dating and, uh, well I moved in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah. like, we were you're dating in the house. Can I call you dad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you <moved> fairly <laughs> quick. With you. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, but they, they asked, and I and I and I pulled Jell aside. I said, "Hey, did, did you tell these kids if they could call me dad? Like, what's going on? Are you trying to trap me or something? Like, you know, like I was being funny with it and stuff." She goes, "No, what did they say? Like, she, they were surprised." So this is something these two these two babies um, talked about amongst themselves because their mom didn't even know about it, mm. and they came up and asked me that. And I, from day one, nobody has ever. And this includes my family on my side. Nobody has ever referred to my kids as stepkids. Nobody's. It even feels weird saying that when I'm referencing them. Yeah, it sounds you know, weird already. No, nobody, nobody ever says, "Oh yeah, those are Mike's stepkids." Nobody's ever said that in my family ever, and in my wife's family, nobody's nobody's ever seen me as stepdad or the stepkids. It was never like that. It was from day one. Like I was their dad, and they were my kids, and and I will, I will always, always be so proud to be their dad. Yes, yeah. you know, yeah. even to today, where uh, the l- last few weeks, like I got to share a moment with my son. You know, he's twenty three, twenty four now, and I got. I know a lot of worldly dads. You want to talk about what the world and what what us Christian men stand for, right? Mm-hmm. As worldly dads, and this went through my mind, having a son. So I can't wait to have their first beer, right, at the bar. Like, that's something that 
that we look forward to. I don't know about. Hey, I, I, I do. I do look <laughs> yeah, forward to was, having a beer with my son when he turns twenty-one. I was looking at you. Yeah, same way. You know, yeah, and, I, and that's, to me, it's kind of like a moment. Well, that's that's what you know. That's what the world has always taught me, and coming from where I come from, from addiction and and how alcohol destroyed my family, I was like, I can't have that moment with him. Right. I can't. That's understandable. You know, I can't. So, God has given me. A moment with my son that was like a man moment where me and him were crying face down at the altar on Sunday morning. Hey, that's, that's, that's as good you know, as a moment as any. And I said, and I was like, how, how can, how can you substitute this moment with anything in the world? You can't, you can't, you can't have that moment. You can't have that moment. If you aren't present, you can't have that moment if you are in the world and not in your family. You can't have that moment. You can't you can't have that moment when your son gives his life to Christ as an adult, like a man. He's a man. He's making his own choices and he chooses to run to the altar and not the bar. Mm, How 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 can you substitute that? And, and and as a man, you're like, you're always trying to look for a measuring stick, right? Like, how how am I doing as a father? How did I do as a dad? Like, how did I do this? How do I, and, and it says in the Bible, right, we're, we're judged by our fruit. Mm-hmm. And when I see my son up there, I'm like, I, I just, I, I don't deserve that moment. Of all my failures as a father... I was like, God, thank you for your grace. I don't deserve this moment. I don't get, mm. I don't get to see my son do better than me, right now. Yeah. I don't deserve That's this. Powerful. That's powerful. But you gave it to me, and thank you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, that's the fruit. I think, you know, when I hear that story, Mike, that was the, the family's divine appointment. You yeah. know, and, and when you came in at such an early age, to accept responsibility, of children that were not yours but so direly you were willing to take the 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 helm mm-hmm. and lead this family and sometimes you know in our in our walk in life you know we stumbled somebody was out there praying for you first of all somebody was praying for you right we all stumbled we all fell away from god at a point and some of us came later um but no matter what, how your journey was to god it was a divine appointment because of who you're speaking to and who you're impacting now. Mm. It's so amazing how God led you in there, right? My story wouldn't be my story if if it wasn't like it is right now. I don't know if I can put that any clearer. I'm thankful for that backstory. Even though it was, man, it was the dumps and drug through the mud, all that bad stuff out there that I did, It wouldn't be my story, and it wouldn't have led me where I am. It wouldn't even give me the words to speak had I even been through it, right? Mike, that's amazing that you shared that. And uh, I, I have a note that says, the best men come from the weaknesses we've had. Yes. Right? The best mm. men. So you're a best man. <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, it wasn't, <laughs> trust me, my wife, she's a looker, right? She, she's <laughs> It was, she made it very easy. To, Mike was like, I'll do anything you tell me to. Yeah, I was like, anything you want, ma'am. Anything How many kids? You want. Six? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anything you want, you got it. <laughs> you know, she, 
she's she's a very beautiful uh woman so amen it wasn't like like i was making a tough decision (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't it wasn't that hard to choose to be you know she made it very easy but um but yeah those those babies man they're they're always going to be my babies and it's crazy because I don't know about you, Jeff or, or David, but when I look at my kids and uh, when I talk about them, I don't see them as adults. I don't see them as the 21 and 23-year-old uh, kids that they are. Like I still see Isaiah as the as a little eight, seven-year-old boy that I was taking yeah. fishing. Yeah. You know, like when I talk about him in my mind, that's the that's the little baby I see. You know, like when I talk about my daughter uh, Natalia, I see the you know this. Uh, little little bait like five six year old little baby you know uh painting the dog's toenails you know dressing up the dog you know like that's what i see and and i don't know about you You guys but that's that's how i for me that was like i kind of have the the reverse of that when my kids were younger i was i was struggling and i was going through a lot of stuff and I, i was not a good dad okay but now my my son is 18 our oldest daughter brianna she's like 26 and then Leah is 16 but once they kind of hit that teenager stage and once I started actually maturing as a Christian yeah <laughs> I, I started to be able to have these conversations with them and learning how to talk to them before if they had a problem I would yell and I would be one of those dads like what I can't believe you're doing that and they could never talk to me yeah. they wouldn't come to me they'd always go to Jess mm-hmm. they'd always go to my wife because they knew that, oh, if I talk to dad, dad's going to blow his top. and handle. Yeah, he's going to go off the handle. And my wife, you know, bless her, she was like, there's a reason why they don't talk to you. It's because you either try to fix it or you blow off the handle. And then I took that, and that, and that made me cry. And yeah. I didn't, you know, she doesn't know this, but, yeah. you know, I, I, never, I never displayed my emotion. But when I was alone, I would cry about that. Like, God, what, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, I've wanted kids so, so much. And you know what? When I first had Devin, and I wanted a boy, I remember I was in Commerce City. I was in the back. I was in our back porch, and and I remember praying to God. And, and no kidding, I saw one of those little uh, what do you call those, those star things going? Shooting stars. Shooting stars. But I was like, Lord, if you if you give me a son, I I, I will commit to trying to teach him all about you. And I got my son. But then when I realized that I'm not being the spiritual leader, or learning how to be a good father, yeah. that broke my heart. And, and now that they are teenagers, I feel like I know how to dialogue with them a lot more than dealing with kids. I have a little tolerance for kids. I'm not going to lie. Little kids <laughs> running around jumping on the couch. It drives me crazy. I have a little tolerance for that stuff. Yeah. And, but, but now that they're at their age, where of course, they'll give me some attitude back. But I can have those conversations. I feel like I'm at a place now where I am capable of being present and listening to what they have to say. And now I'm like... I enjoy these conversations with my kids, and I can tune into that. And being a father is one of the best joys. Amen. So that's one. Those are another responsibility that we're going to talk about. And this is something that men we do so well to the point where we get lost into it. And let's call it back, right? So to work in Genesis two fifteen, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And I want to tie that with the other point, which is to provide. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, Jeff, you were talking about work ethic. Now, how do you feel that applies to manhood? Why we need to... There's some men who don't embrace the work ethic. But to a man who's embracing faith, why does 
the work you do becomes so important. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think it becomes important because it's, it's the willingness. Like I, I got to ask myself this question. How hard are you willing to work? Mm. Right. Okay. If there's an issue in my family, how hard am I willing to work to help fix it, help them get through it? That's what it, what it comes down to for me. Okay. Right? Um, but yeah, it's just the that application of, of work. It is uh, it's just a thing that is inside of it's instilled inside of you. I do believe that it is. You know, instilled. it is. It's it's a uh, it's one of these things. And sometimes I look at men that didn't have that example of somebody in their life and i'm saying that right there is an example of how important it is to have that father figure in that family right and some of us as you guys know some of us as we come along in life we find a brother we find a somebody that's a mentor right Mm -hmm. like helps you figure it out like i got friends out there that that didn't have a father figure in their life they had to figure it out on their own right and they're looking to other males like how do I how do I put in the work to be a father? I got how do I navigate this, right? Yeah. And it's it's you know finding that that person that they can rely on and be like, man, that's that's the man I I need to replicate right there. That's he, he's a stand up guy. Yeah. You know he can discipline his children, but yet they still come back at him and love him the same way. Yeah. Right. And that's and that's that's kind of a twofold there. Yeah. Because like work in terms of what you're willing to put into relationships, and then work in the physical sense. Yeah. Like back then, of course, you're working and tilling the land. Yeah. But but even still, like when you're at work, how are you showing up? Ooh. When you report to your bosses, who are you representing when you're there? And that is an area where I think, for 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 a believer, God calls us to represent at work. Oh, yeah. and, and I don't I don't mean that by going and, and, and preaching at work. Yeah, no, I mean no. that by how you show up at work and the kind of work and the integrity that you put into your work. Love that. And the labor. That is also what defines a Christian man is that when people we're, we're set apart, right? We're, right? we're called to be set apart. And when you're there and you're working and people can look at you and they can say, well, how is it that you handle the stress in a way that most of us fall apart in? How is it that when conflict shows up at work, you respond differently to that? What is it about you Mm. that that separates you from all these other men at work? Yeah. And that's a calling and a responsibility that God has has provided for us to figure out how to navigate. That's funny you brought that up, man. I just finished a project, you know, 1701 Platt, calling it out, 1701 Platt Street, beautiful building. It was a very tough project. Uh Um, Before this project got to the extreme of, of uh, some of the stresses it brought on, um, I had some coworkers in another uh, part of the the company that were stressing out on projects they had, and they said, "Go talk to Jeff. He's been through some tough projects, mm-hmm. and ask him how he's gotten through some of them. He can help you. Uh, help you. You know, he's he's an ear to to listen. And uh, I did have some people come up to me and hit me up and ask me about you know what I do to um, get through some of these projects. What they didn't know is I was in the middle of my own storm going through this stressful project, right? <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I was on the edge, you know, the whole time. My son's the foreman on the job. I'm the uh, the project manager on the job. And I, we're, we're like, you know, the, nobody wants to see their job fail. No. Um, you want to see it succeed, especially with your son being the foreman on the job, right? Right. So that's, I think, part of where I was dealing with the... Uh, the heaviness of the, the burden of this job. Meanwhile, I got this guy coming and saying like, 
you know, how do you get through some of the stresses and how do you just remain so calm through it all? <laughs> How about putting you on the spot, huh? <laughs> he didn't know that when I left work in my truck, I'm hollering out loud, like, God, help me through this, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, ultimately, when I look back, the project's finished now. The, I told my son, I said, you know, the biggest thing about being part of this project, even though it was such a difficult project to deal with, I said, you never quit. You never gave up. Hmm. There was times where you said, I can't do it. They need to find somebody else for this. I said, look where this project is now. You can look at this building and you can say, I did that. Hmm. I finished that with the crew I had. Even though it was a struggle as a 25-year-old man, I got through it. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm proud of you. I said, man, Jarek, I said, we're both, we both got through it, yeah. you know? And uh, guys, I got to be honest. Here's, here's, I'm going to give you one example of the story. So this project is going on and we, we can't get power onto this building. It's now October. No power to this building. They want to, they want to get heat going so they can drywall. You know how that goes. Okay. Um, they, there's systems they want to start up in December. No power in November. Couldn't get it up. Finally, some parts start showing up, major parts that I need to get this power on. So we struggle trying to get the parts onto this building, right? We're dealing with this even into December. Well, you guys know how December was for a month. It was, it was beautiful. All the way through... October, November, December, those are the best three months that I could look back yeah, and say. The weather wasn't that bad. Did you ever think winter. about that, how that weather was, right? I, had that weather been colder in October, November, they would have pressed us harder, right, for, for this, uh, this heat and in the, in the electricity in this building. I was praying, God, I need your help on this one. This is where my dependence came. God, I need your help on this one. I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know. What's going to make this job successful? I don't know how much more I can motivate these men, but get us there. Get mm -hmm. us there. I have to trust in you. And I, I didn't think about the weather at the time, but I looked back and I was like, man, we got the power at the end, you know, mid, mid December. And it started finally. The no first, blizzard. We got the power on the first day. It became really cold. And the GC said, are you guys going to have that power? It's going to be cold tomorrow. I was like, power is on. He's like, really? He's like, yep. You can start the RTUs up tomorrow. <laughs> and he was like, all right, all right. And I look back and I'm like, God had us the whole way, you know, even to the end of the project, right? Um, so dealing with this, the stress and the work, you know, the, the work ethic, it was, it's, it's just never giving up. Even when we were down and beat up and times you want to give up, it was like, nope. I asked him, what's your name? Like, My name's Jarek. I'm like, we're going to get this job done. Jarek, he was like, even though I know there's other people hiring for a lot more money. <laughs> I know. That seems know to be the case is. everywhere yeah. nowadays, right? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so we got through it, man. And that's where the work ethic came in. It was like, if I was going to be an example, I can't quit on him and he can't quit on me. And that was the difficulty of the project. Like, knowing, like, we had to, we had to rely on each other, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, I, I, just, I, I couldn't leave you, like, hanging like this. Like, I told him, quit. If you want to quit, quit. You think you, can, you you think you want to do that, and you think somebody's going to offer you money? He's like, yeah, no, nah, I can't. That, that, that little small test was just to see where he really sat, you mm -hmm. know. And uh, I can't say anybody else would have. They probably would have quit on me. But work ethic, right? Yep. Putting in the work. I worked for like as if I'm working for God. Like I'm working my integrity, my name is is saying like, you know what, Jeff finished that project. You know, exactly. it's the same thing in our spiritual life. You know what? I finished raising that family. I finished my race. You guys know that verse, right? Mm -hmm. I finished the race. And good and faithful servant, welcome. 
how many are waiting for that hug? Yeah. Right? Exactly. How that's, many are waiting for that hug? That's, that's a great example of work. responsibility that we have as men, right? So we talked about being spiritual leaders, being fathers, working, providing for families. And then there's a serving sacrificially. How many of you out there are loving your wives like Christ loved the church? Hmm. Okay. Um, and again, we talked about our family being the first ministry uh, in our last podcast. We won't talk about this a lot, but are you just like Jeff said, being present with your wife? Are you actually paying attention to her? Or are you so far involved with work, your hobbies? Maybe all you do when sports comes on is you're just glued to the TV. Are you giving attention where it's needed? You know, when we're talking about being sacrificial, it's it's time. It's doing stuff. It's being present. It's also willing to put her needs before yours in the relationship when time calls for that. Okay, that is something that that God has called us to do. Now, another area of sacrifice, and this is found in John 15, 13, where it says, Greater love has no more than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Okay, Hmm. we were also called to be there for one another and sometimes sacrifice, whether that is, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice my time doing this to go over here and help this brother because he needs it. I'm going to sacrifice my time to go mentor this person because I. I see them going through it and I see the potential in them. Sacrifice could also be, you know, I might jump in front of a car to save somebody. I might put myself in harm's way to make sure that I'm saving somebody. Right? What are your thoughts on that? Serving sacrificially as being a responsibility of a godly man. Well, for me, it's, uh, I'm just learning this. You know, I'm going to be very honest. One of my biggest failures is being a husband. I've caused so much, uh, so much mess and destruction in my marriage of the last, you know, even this last year, like, you know, it's, and I'm, I'm thankful that we're doing this, uh, this series because it's really confronting me on issues of sacrifice Mm -hmm. for, for the family and for, for the, um, for the wife and stuff, because I think I've, I've shared this a few times, but I'm a very selfish person, you know, by nature or nurture, whatever you want, however you want to look at it. But um, I'm very selfish. So my needs come first before my wife and families. And that is not a godly husband. That's not a godly father at all. That's not Christ-like. Except for when it comes to the food, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Remember we were talking about that last time. Yeah. In the last podcast, yeah. he was like, that food is mine. I was like, no, 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 no. I love my family, but they ain't getting those leftovers that I put aside yeah. for my lunch. <laughs> steak yeah, you, my life. That's, that steak. that's funny because uh, <laughs> I just made a, I made that reference. We have some soda in the fridge, and I, I, don't, I drink soda very rarely, right? So um, I buy a, the cream sodas, and I have some in there, and my, my son was mm-hmm. like, Hey, what are these bottles? Because they were turned around, and he pulled them out, and I go, "Oh, those are my cream. That's those are my cream sodas." And your mom, her, his mom was like, "Yeah, don't be touching those because those have his name on it. You know, like making a little thing." So oh. I was like, "That is true." It's you know, lion I, mentality. Yeah, I am. I am a little selfish, so you know, I, man. Like, I I really struggle at at this, and I'm failing at it. And this is one of the things that uh, God has broken me in silence for, over that He's you know, show me and, and, and that I'm grown for. And, and I learned this and I want to say this. I learned what the word 
and this was an example, and I forget where I get it from. I didn't make this up, so uh, I don't get the credit for it. But the word husband is put together by two words. It's house and bond. Hmm. House, I've never heard that. House and bond. So a husband is is the house bonder, right? It keeps the house together. It's it's the he's the one that when you're the husband of the house, you know, you're the head of the household, you know, you're uh you're your decision maker, you know, you're the leader of the household, but you keep the house, you keep the family together. Mm-hmm. And it's I, and I was thinking about this because we we get to um we get to a point where for me it's like okay, we're I'm a husband, I, I keep the house together, like what does that mean? Because my wife has a role right and she's really the rock of the family mm-hmm. right i think all of our wives are are the rock of the I family agree with keep, that. they keep they keep us together so what does that really mean and so i really was like really thinking about it how to relate to myself for me one of my struggles is uh laziness in the house like my yard work is horrible like yeah, that's one of the things I'm that right I, there I, with you, brother. I'm, I struggle with you know and and i get a little jealous when 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 my wife comments on other people's yards you know when we're driving by and stuff you know i get that jealousy and it's like i'm like man why am i not like that why am i not like why can't i just go out and do yard work like what is wrong with me like i love the labor like that's i grew up doing that you know i grew up being that i had to find ways to make money you know and i didn't get into into selling drugs or anything like that but i i would the only thing i knew how to do was i was strong so i could pick up things and move it i could you know that was the only thing i could do like good (laughs) is pick heavy stuff up and move it you know throw you know all that stuff so that's how i i made money was well i was the help people always you know friends of the family like hey you need stuff moved call mike he can help you you know you need this call mike he can help you but but i struggle with that man and and i'm just uh like i said god is really breaking me uh this season in my life and i just uh yeah i just i'm just failing right now yeah when you ask about you know Sacrifice, sacrificing. I think that was a question. Sacrificial, right? sacrificial. Serving sacrificially. Serving sacrificially, guys. I got to be honest. I sit here in front of you two, and watch uh, this whole setup. And you know, people outside of this don't know what you guys have set up in front of us right now doing this podcast. Um, but you guys sacrifice your time. You sacrifice weeks calling out and reaching out to. Hey, you want to be part of this? Um, going back and the editing, I'm like, I'm sitting here amazed at what you two gentlemen have got together in this podcast. That's serving, that, that's sacrificing your time, sacrificing mm. um, your mind, right? And ultimately, I, I put a note here that says, you know, this podcast, what you guys are doing is amazingly. You, you do it because you, you, you want to reach the hearts of others out there. Yes, that is the main reason. Just by sacrificing the few, the, the minutes and the hours that we're spending together right now, there's somebody out there that's going to be reached, Mike, by mm. your story, by your awesome editing that you do in the setups. <laughs> and like, I seen how, I, was, like, I looked at all these chords and I said, wow, look at this, this guy, they, they just got their act together. And I see your Dave, notebooks. <laughs> David has it all together. I just show I gotta up say and this, talk. We're, people we're, we're learning. Podcasts, we're we learning. don't know what you guys are sacrificing right now just yeah. to reach them. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And so, um, Another point here, that's a responsibility. And this one, a lot of men challenge with because it says, obey our leaders and submit to them. And in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, 
for that would be of no advantage to you. Part of our responsibility is to learn also when to take orders, when to follow. And I think before you can become a good leader, you first have to learn how to follow. And that's a responsibility that as men that we need to improve in, okay? And, and, and sometimes there's a place and time when, when, you know, when to challenge authority, right? Yeah. But for the most part, most people are leaders because they've, they've earned that position or they've built enough influence for you to follow them. And, and learning how to obey them and, and follow direction and put some faith and trust in them is, is a godly thing to do. Anything you want to add to that? Pretty. You want self- to take that one, Jeff? Because I'm not. Yeah, I mean, obeying a leader, that you, you got to have a humble heart, man. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I think um, I say some of the best leaders are people who have humble hearts and are willing to get their hands dirty right along with uh, the, the ones that they're leading, right? Agreed. If you, uh, you look at a wolf pack, Where's the leader at? In the back. He's in the back. Why is he in the back? Because he can oversee everybody. He can oversee everybody, right? Mm. He's willing to, to lag back and hold back because he's got, he's got a full view of anything outside of that pack and knows where everybody's headed, right? Um, I don't know what... My mind is just all over the place. I was looking at your... Uh, they got a... You, you know where you set up your knives and everybody knows everybody has one of these little knives... Yeah. knife uh carriages i guess yeah so i look at this uh the sharpener right the one that sharpens everything yeah every knife in that unit and i looked at it and i, I think of because i have one myself and i think of the ridges on this this sharpener right why is it not shaped like all the other why isn't it just a knife right it says iron sharpens iron uh-huh. right and i know you might get to that later but why is it not shaped like the rest of the knives why is it not? It has ridges in it, right? That's it. I look at that that piece as that's the leader of that whole stack because without that stack, nothing stays sharpened in that carriage, right? Ooh, okay. And the ridges on that metal are are life experiences. So when you find a brother that has a bunch of ridges in his life, such as us, testimonies, mm-hmm. the war battle wounds that we've been through, those are the ridges. Same thing as that carriage, right? That one can come to and be sharpened by Mm -hmm. because of his experiences in life and what he's dealt with right so i look at that that little piece of metal in there that that's the lead that's the leader of that little carriage of knives you know that was a good now no that was good that was was some gold right there y'all that was some gold jeff dropping nuggets over here leadership uh yeah it's it is now let's segue to the next one learning to show perseverance now, I had to look up the definition of perseverance. I understood that it was like trying to, to, to endure something. But the word means a continued effort to do or achieve something despite the difficulties, failure, or opposition. We as Christians are not guaranteed an easy life when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is why learning to persevere, whether trials come from just living life, encountering obstacles, or suffering the consequences of our sin, is a strong characteristic of a godly man. In James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under, their, under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Jeff, you just gave a really good example when you were talking <laughs> about your work project. <laughs> yeah. About, about perseverance and going through that. And a lot, a lot of the times, man, it, it, it is, it's easy to give up. And I've done that so many times in my life where there's times where it's like, 
I wanted to give up on my relationship with my wife. There's times when I just wanted to walk out of a job. There's times when I was hurting inside and didn't want to share with anybody, but had to endure that because I knew that the fruit at the end of that or the outcome was going to be worth persevering through this pain. And so this is a, is, is a character of a godly man and in, in something that a lot of you are going to fail at, and that's okay. But through those failures, you have to learn those lessons to get back on your feet and keep going. You only fail when you, true, when you choose to quit. That's right. Fellas, do you want to add anything to that? I think, uh, you know, <clears throat> God even gives us an example, and I don't know exactly where it's at, but is it, what does it say? Like a righteous man is the one who gets knocked down seven times but gets up eight. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, think, I think it's okay for us to, to say that out loud, to say that we're knocked down, you know, to, to say, and I think that, you know, leads to putting good man around you yep. um, as, you're, as you're growing in your walk, as you're growing as a husband, as a father, you know, there's, there, you, you need to have that community of man to fall on. When we decided to do this uh, series and you, you asked if we, uh, we should get a guest, Right. Mm-hmm. And the first person simultaneously, as you said that the first person in mind that came that popped into my mind was Jeff. And I think if you were to look back on this whole episode, if you were to look back on everything that we shared, I think you guys will understand my love for him and why I put him in my circle of what a godly man looks like and what a godly man is supposed to be. You know, there's there's examples of failure. There's examples of of quitting, wanting to quit. There's examples of everything that that Jeff has experienced in his life are the things that I'm going through and that I've gone through. Just like the the moment I met him in my darkest broken brokenness i've ever felt in my life and he was the one that was there to to pick me up to say it was okay and so from that moment to today jeff has always been the example of a godly man to me and i never i would agree with that i've never i've never had a father figure in my life never i've learned everything from the school of hard knock like a lot of us have but God has blessed me with Jeff in my life as like when I was at my broken, when I was at my breaking point, when I was going to give up on life. Mm-hmm. And then I shared this last time when I was going to commit suicide and you answered the call. You, you were there the, when, when I needed you the most. You were there. And I never... I got to breathe here, old guy. <laughs> I, I've, never, I've never experienced somebody like you in my life. And so... That I mean, that's why I was like, we got to get Jeff on here because everybody has to meet this man of God that I've, I that I know that's helped me, that's gotten me from my darkest days to my brightest days, you know. And I and that's why I I have to have Jeff in my life. And just like yeah. with David, David had, plays a big part in my life too because everything that David is, I'm not, and that's a lot. In the 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 structure and, and the consistency and and the willingness to keep moving forward and to not have an excuse and just all the like the the 
the things that I need to grow as a man as well, you know, David's yeah. in, that's why I, I love David. That's why David's in my life. That's why I need, and I, and I'm saying all this because I, if you're listening to this and you feel alone, you, you, you need to get somebody, you need to have somebody mm-hmm. in your life that feel that, that, that are going toward the same place that you want to be, or maybe they're already there. Like, like Jeff is, like David is, those are the guys are that Mike. are already there. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm trailing behind. Right you know? there. Yeah. I'm trailing behind, you know, uh, I'm the caboose of this, of this train. I'm just learning. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's very important to, to get man or surround yourself with, with man that, that have the knowledge that, that have, that have what you need. Right. I like how Mike, Mike, you just, uh, you're not afraid to reach out and, uh, at any moment, reach out and surround yourselves with good men like David. And I've seen you over and over just, just sitting back observing how you, uh, have made an impact yourself on others based off of what you've learned from others. I love how you're able to just be transparent and, um, open up your house, open up your heart to, to other men is like to come in and let's speak on each other, speak each other up. Yeah. You know, sometimes um, we've all been broke down. We've all been spoken to and words are, are lethal to uh, our soul. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, with, with the group of men you've surrounded yourself, we've learned to help each other get through it, you know, sharpen each other. Um, I just had one thing real quick, you know, and it was, it's the only note I have because I wasn't really, I didn't write any notes for this. It was from uh, something I had down in the past but part of being a christian and being a man is persevering under the pressure of tribulation suffering can come in the form of work marriage temptation but in each circumstance we have a choice in how we respond we have a choice in how we respond to that circumstance Mm -hmm. no that's good um i think in terms of proverbs 27 where it's set in 17 where it says iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another and you gave that good example that that's really what it comes down to as being a successful being successful at being a godly man is the people that you surround yourself with and it's supposed to look like you know when i look at the friend groups that i have and i'm blessed to have they're in all the areas that that i'm insufficient in and they balance me out and make me more of a comprehensive man like having a friend i have a friend who's Who's, who's proficient in finances that I can go to talk to if I need that. I have friends who I can go to talk to to help me get in shape. I have friends who I can talk to to learn about the Bible. I have other men and couples. So I wanted to say that too. Like, Mike, when we, when we met you, Jeff, um, I remember my wife saying, these two are a godly couple. And she wow. goes, they're an influential couple. And, and, and I was like, she's like, you got to get around them and meet them. So when I got to meet you guys and, and the couple times that we've all been able to hang out together, I'm like, you guys do a lot. And I could see why Mike loves you so much. You know what I mean? Like, I could see that. And you're right. It is important for you to, to surround yourself with men who will build you up and men who you want to be like. Most people, envy comes into play. Yeah. You see, they get jealous. When yeah. you, like, our call as, as, as Christ followers is to build one another up. Amen, yeah. You know, not not to tear each other down. We shouldn't look at each other with envy. It is what can I learn from this from this brother? 
And, and all of us have something to bring to the table. I know when I'm down, I know who I can call. And I know that there's somebody who's always going to be praying for me. That's right. And, and this doesn't even have to be just godly men around you. There's, there's men who are secular who are good friends of mine who I can yeah. lean into. I think it's about yeah. having a band of brothers, that, that people who can hold you accountable for. Yes. I love it when a friend can tell me that I'm out of line. And most That's of them are somebody I've given permission to speak into my life like that. Mm-hmm. And they can say, hey, look, you know, I, I just want to tell you that you were wrong for that. And, and here's why. And here's what I'm holding you accountable to based on the man that I know that you're trying to be. Yeah. And to me, that's like, that's a God thing. Because God is telling me through somebody and offering me the, 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 the what, what's that word? The rebuke that I need. Mm, yeah. And, and having somebody like Mike around, Mike has taught me a lot about love and also what it means to be a man. And to open up. Yeah. Because Mike is, <laughs> my wife is like, you and Mike are the opposite. <laughs> but I'm like, and she goes, that's why you like him though, huh? Because I'm like, yeah, because Mike teaches me how to, how to be more of a, uh, he teaches me how to open up in the areas that I'm cold in and that I struggle with. Where it's hard to express. It's yeah. hard to express, but yeah. Mike can open up anybody. Like anybody can be around Mike. Like, if you ever get a chance to be around Mike, he's the kind of guy that you might come with some walls up, but he's eventually going to, he's not going to knock them down. He's going to, he's going to, like, I don't want, I don't want to, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? He's going to make you feel comfortable enough to where you'll just let the bridge you'll down. You'll start, yeah, you start dismantling your exactly, own bridge. Exactly, you start dismantling your own bridge. And that's a power that God has given Mike to do for other men that yeah. we need, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. So, guys, any last words before we close out? Jeff, you want to say Jeff, something? Jeff, you want to say anything? No, I'm, guys, I'm, I'm truly, truly humbled to, uh, for you to think of me as a, a godly man and, and to come and speak on this podcast. Um, I will say sometimes we don't think we're good enough for anything. Sometimes we don't think we're the best example for anybody out there. Sometimes we don't think we set the bar high enough. But I know one thing that the enemy is always it's speaking into us saying you're not good enough you, you're not you'll, you'll never reach that that height that you need to reach right but that's where we put our trust in the Lord guys and that's where we truly truly depend on him, him to lead us and guide us in the wisdom that we need and always always asking him to speak through us you know and not us speak for him him speak through us and just I'm just thankful humble humble to be here guys and Thank you so much. I got two great men sitting in front of me. Yeah, Yeah, my my last words would be get your guy get you guys some Jeff and Davids in your lives. That's my advice. (laughs) Find your band of brothers. And 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 also, you know, just to close up this podcast episode is, you know, we we got to sit here and, and, and talk to Jeff, who is a godly man, who we view as a godly man. He's also a really cool dude. And he was able to drop some knowledge on us. And this is the, why we do this is because we want to have conversations with everyday people. And, the, and, and, and there's always somebody out there who can influence you in the kingdom of heaven, who you could talk to. There's good examples. It's not just your pastors. It's not just the religious leaders in there. Everyday people who are out there representing the kingdom. 
And we also want to encourage you, if you're lost right now, listening to this episode, that there are men out there who are experiencing what you're experiencing. And all you have to do is open up and step in, put God first, start following his commandments, learn to persevere, embrace the lion and the lamb, and find your band of brothers. Things will start to fall into place. And with that being said, I'm David. I'm Mike. I'm the guest, Jeff. Thank you, guys. Yep. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.